with founders maybe in the refi space, I see mm. different types of projects. Some who are saying they do regenerative finance, but they're not, they're just mm. building another business. Or others who are saying, hey, we really want to change the world, but they are only looking at the very mushy human side of things or mm. going very mm. slow. And there there's missing like the bigger system thinking. So yeah. like, and for me, it's really bringing this together and holding these both and finding out where on the spectrum you need to be at any time. Like we are in a climate emergency like, yeah. and we need to go fast and we need to go slow also. Yeah. Holding that can be incredibly challenging. Hey, what's good, Refi Nation? John Ellison here with another episode of Refi Podcast. In today's show, we sit down with Lena Bunke and Philip Stelic. They are two very different people united by a shared vision of regeneration, a better future that we all know is possible but don't necessarily know how to get to. Philip is a serial entrepreneur and investor who has experience building incredibly successful and scalable companies. He's built many of them with a gentleman named Max Ament, and they're now looking at the refi space and beyond, investing and supporting founders, building climate solutions to not only build systems that scale, but also to care of themselves in the communities that they serve in the process. Linu works at Greater Than, a pioneering organization looking at organizational design, systems thinking, and building better systems that work at scale. We touch on decentralized models, decision-making, governance, our relationship to money, and the experiences that we can craft to help bridge the gap between the disparate parts of society that need to work together to realize this regenerative future. Enjoy the episode. Do drop us a five-star review if you get a chance. Be very grateful to get your feedback. Thanks so much, and let us know what you think. Hey, you guys. Hello. Uh, I'm like giddy with excitement to talk to you both. This feels like such a gift to be here in person in Lisbon. Um, Mm. So thanks so much for carving time out of your day. I know there's a lot going on, but yeah, it feels really sweet to have you here. And um, yeah, you guys have such an interesting journey together and apart. And I'm really looking forward to kind of unpacking this idea of regeneration inside and out from all the different lenses and perspectives that both of you hold, which are very different and yet they work together so beautifully well. And I remember one of the first experiences that you guys gathered at Refi Lee's Boa and I was like, wow, this is an art. Like, <laughs> this is total magic. It is. So um, for those who don't know as much about you guys, I'd love to just start off with a bit of your personal journeys. Maybe we kick it off with you, Lena, um, for whatever you feel is relevant to share. And um, yeah, and let's enjoy the ride and we can unpick it from there and go over to you, Philip. Sure. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, John, for yeah inviting us. I feel giddy with excitement too. I can feel it in my body, like whew, <laughs> lots of energy. I think I will actually start in the present and then kind of draw back to, to where I came from. Cool. And currently, most of my work, but not all of it, is happening with yeah a company that is called Greater Than. We support organizations, companies, networks with what we call new ways of working. What that means is... Yeah, decentralized leadership, shared decision-making, collaborative financial practices, and in the broad sense, what we call self-management until organizing. And yeah, I mean, generally what that meets in me is the passion of just really understanding how we can organize well, Mm. whether that is in a big company or in community. And this is also where I kind of, like my whole way and path towards organizational transformation and consulting was through this realization that, my goodness, the way we live doesn't work and the way we work doesn't work. And I really deeply believe that there is a different way and especially for living together. Mm. And I realized that there was such a big gap between the aspirations that we have, especially when it comes to community building and the reality of where even the most intelligent and motivated people fail really often. And yeah, that got me really curious in in what are the tools and the practices and the foundations that we need to yeah make that new way of living, but also that new way of working possible. Yeah, yeah it's so interesting that you're combining all these different threads. I remember when I first discovered Frederick Laloux's work and mm. this notion that organizational models evolve with human consciousness. Mm. And that there's this rapid evolution going on over the last Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years. We're looking at all these new systems. 
And you know, decentralization is one of several paradigms that we need to learn how to respond to and how to fit into. And yet it's hard to do well. Um, so I know you also had, it sounded like a pretty profound kind of spiritual experience in your early 20s that gave a, a bit of a different perspective on career and life in general. I don't know if there's anything that you want to share there, but I'm definitely, yeah, curious. Yeah, sure. So I just said to Philip in the car on our way here that I think I exited the classical career path before it even began, you know, <laughs> like there was no... What a blessing. <laughs> I guess so, in, in some ways a blessing. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was in my early 20s, after I studied, I left for what I thought was going to be a three-month journey, mm. and it turned out to be more like a three-year journey. Um, yeah, I traveled most of the time. I lived in India and in Nepal and in other places all over the world. And I, yeah, I had what, I guess, in the mainstream world, you would call a spiritual awakening. I find that term a little bit, like it doesn't quite fit because mm. it's so deeply profound that it, it's kind of like words make it small. Mm. Um, mm. But what that meant was that there was a kind of a deep knowing and a sense of integrity kind of anchored inside of me so that it became impossible to just go back and do mm. do the normal thing of mm -hmm. like getting a job and then doing the career ladder in a regular corporate it just felt really wrong mm. yeah because you knew there was a deeper way of being in the world yeah absolutely up. wow that's so beautiful yeah a deeper mm. way and also i think that also really meant that all of the gaps that i was perceiving in the outside world got really exciting for me to understand how can we bridge them or how mm. can we fill them and what i was talking about earlier those practices so cool. those tools really making sure that we develop them, you know, to make that possible, mm. not just for individual, like, single people, but for really bigger groups. At a systems level, yeah, yeah recognizing exactly. the interrelatedness between the journeys we make as individuals and how we show up in these organizations. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we play with a similar structure for you, Philip. Drop us into where you are now and give us a backwards-looking view of kind of mm -hmm. how you got there and mm -hmm. anything that's relevant to share. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now... I mean, we do things together and maybe we go into that a little bit more mm -hmm. around um, yeah, group cohesion and alternative ways of, of organizing as a, as a community. But my main work, and I do it like this because <laughs> if we get to the difference between work and life, like they, like once I feel aligned with something, there's actually not a lot of separation anymore. But mm -hmm. my main work is that I work with startups and founders and founding teams mm. Um, specifically who are working on climate-related problems and specifically yeah. also use software or um, decentralized technologies and decentralized approaches to, yeah, to avert the climate crisis, climate, climate crisis that we're in right now. Yeah. And I do this together with my dear friend of 20 years and co-founders of many companies, Max, mm. who you also know. Um, yeah, and we, we really looked at our experience as founders, as technologists, as also investors, and how do we put that to use, to the best use at this critical time of our planet. Mm -hmm. And there we found all these amazing founders and founding teams who, who want to really change the world, yeah. but often they lack the experience or the tools or the capital um, on a very practical level. So we provide that and we help them there. Yeah. And then also um, there's a bigger and deeper pieces for me. How do we have personal transformation in baked into these new technology systems that we're building and kind of how do we enable the founders there to um, really take care of themselves while they take care of the planet because my, my experience <laughs> is it possible <laughs> yes but is it like maybe that speaks to my experience yeah. and how i got here is yeah. that um like in my teenage years i was computer nerd, like I would carry my big, back then, like CRT monitor, right, the big ones, <laughs> to my friends' houses on the yes. weekends, and we'd hang out and do nerdy things. Yeah. And um, straight after out of high school, I started working at a company actually that Max founded. Mm. We built financial software for large enterprises, um, like for the largest companies of this world, basically. Wow. Um, and through that, I ended up in Silicon Valley. I was 21, I moved to San Francisco had no idea what Silicon Valley was and kind of got sucked into the Silicon Valley dream of sure. building bigger, faster, more. And we did that quite successfully. Yeah. We started a company, 
such multiple companies there, but one in particular that then grew and to a million dollar business, a billion dollar business, wow. got acquired later on. But in the Silicon Valley kind of slipstream or in the Silicon Valley uh, ethos, I really found out that I was I was burning out. Yeah. I was just not creating for the creation sake anymore, but for the creating for faster, bigger, more money, etc. Mm -hmm. And um, I took a step back from there. Uh, left that company like in 2016 okay. and took a break and really did like the inner work and looked inside like what am I going to do and I found uh, something called Ethereum in 2016-17 the promise of a new financial system yeah. and I went really in there and said okay if we want these new systems these new financial systems how would they look like what, what would we build them as and again with Max and some others we build a, a product called Centrifuge, um, where we combine the real world with blockchain world. And quickly there, I also found that a lot of the DeFi or a lot of crypto stuff was, again, not really doing the new thing, was perpetuating old patterns very mm -hmm. often. Of totally. course, there are some really amazing projects, um, but the, the vast majority was actually doing the same stuff, just again on a different technology. Yeah. And, I, and I burned out again, like twice, <laughs> and just said, fuck it all, like I leave tech, I leave crypto, and I don't know if I'm going to ever go near technology again. And uh, then slowly, slowly, after some recovery and like really deep look inside, came back together with Max and, and really we said, okay, how would we do this differently? How would yeah. we enable founders to really do something different? And um, still using our enterprise, fintech, crypto experience and the successes that we had and the capital that we have, but really enabling them um, yeah, to build really something in service. And so that's what I'm doing now. And mm. so my story kind of, I had to, I learned a bunch of the old school stuff sure. and then kind of had to unlearn it and come back to, to it from a very different place now. Yeah, and I think this is so incredibly resonant for me because I obviously had a little bit of experience in the Bay um, working remotely and traveling back and forth. There is this incredible critical mass of experience and you know technology and know-how and yet the fervor and pace at which it's being dedicated towards really quite singular monetary goals um, is highly extractive in the mm -hmm. end for mm -hmm. almost all participants involved, mm -hmm. um, except for sometimes the shareholders who make large upsides. But um, yeah, it's this, it's this interesting thing that I've really struggled with in refi as well. Mm. You know, it's like regenerative finance surely should espouse to build regenerative systems. And if we're not building regenerative systems as an organization, then how is this actually going to affect the products that we make, mm. the way that we engage with our customers or with our partners? And I'd be curious to get your perspective and take on this, Lena, because for me, it, it feels really difficult to actually build regenerative organizational systems. Mm. And I don't know where this comes from. Is it just like a lack of education? Is it a cultural thing? Like, what's your read on the kind of systemic hurdles to people actually building systems that work for people at work? I mean, the first thing I want to say is it is really difficult. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not an easy thing at all. And I am in no position of holding all the answers. I think this is a continuous exploration and it requires a lot of willingness and experimentation as well mm. to actually discover what works. And also what works for one organization and company or project doesn't work for the other because there are so many individual aspects mm. to consider. So maybe that as a preface. Mm. And then, I mean, I think there is a big societal load that we all carry mm. and that's maybe where the blessing part comes in of having never really entered that like business as usual. Sure. Because w what I can see is that I have much less to unlearn when I'm moving in, <laughs> for example, a self-organized system. Like this, this idea of having agency and being able to just pick up things and lead where I can lead, but mm. also follow where, where I want to follow and where I where it feels like the right way to follow because somebody else actually leads, mm. um, that feels relatively organic for me. Whereby, oh, especially if you've yeah. worked in a, in a hierarchical system, you're so used to somebody else both holding the responsibility at the end of the day, but also the authority. So there is a constant waiting for approval. And like a lot of the ways that we, for example, make decisions within greater than, for example, is 
through advice and you actually do not wait for anybody's approval ever. Mm. You just gather the relevant information for all the parts that are involved either because they're affected by your decision or because they hold relevant expertise. But it, the whole process is so different. Mm. And even I with like much less unlearning and see, this is where I think all this, like all the baggage from how we're being parented, how we're being schooled comes mm. in because yeah, we're constantly waiting and we're constantly being told what to do as mm. a child. Like this is the task, this is how you do it. And rarely ever are we invited to actually find out ourselves, you know, with the support of others. Totally. And how it actually feels, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of inner world. I love the word interoception that mm. um, I've picked up on recently. This mm. kind of ability to experience the world going on within. Mm. It, it's a skill that's almost actively suppressed in, you know, the traditional parenting models and education models. And so we end up, you know, doing things that are just not good for us. And, you know, it has this, uh, for me, this experience of just bottoming out, you know, like really removing the reservoirs of energy. And it's it's tough to sort of take the time out of, you know, the treadmill. And I'm really curious, some of the insights that you gained, Philip, as you broke free from these systems, because it's easy to just stay trapped and said, hey, you know what, mm. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to take some space. Because I know you leaned quite deeply into community, I believe. This, this is kind of part of the story of how you guys met. Mm. And just, yeah, what kind of gems did you find as you stepped out of you know, the startup space and looked mm. deeper? I think one key gem is that it's a paradox in a way. There's a lot of paradoxes because having been in Silicon Valley and having done the ride and the crypto ride and having really created in there, I I can really appreciate the pace mm. of getting towards a solution yeah. and the like the systemic approach to create something from nothing. Mm. Mm. And it's really beautiful and at the same time if it's not paired with the other side of the paradox of, wow, as you said, like, who am I listening on the inside? Who are we together, actually, and not mm. just who we think we should be in, 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 like in the light of, of some company or some yeah. system or whatever. Yeah. If we don't hold that side of the paradox also, then, yeah, you might lead, go to a burnout or whatever, whatever, whatever you might end up. And um, so this is also something when I work with with founders maybe in the refi space, I see mm. different types of projects. Some um, who are saying they do regenerative finance, but they're not, they're just mm. building another business, sure. and which is also fine, but they, they, they use the, mm. the word. Or others who are saying, hey, we really want to change the world, but they're not actually, they're only looking at the very mushy human side of things mm. or going very mm. slow, and there there's missing like the bigger system thinking. So yeah. like, and for me, it's really bringing this together. Mm. and holding these both and finding out where on the spectrum you need to be at any time because we like, we are in a climate emergency like, yeah. and we need to go fast and at the same time I'm getting goosebumps and we need to go slow also mm. yeah. and so holding that is is can be incredibly challenging yeah it's it's something I've lived with for many many days this sense of urgency I remember picking up um, David Wallace Wells The Uninhabitable Earth in the airport just by chance mm. reading it cover to cover as a newborn as a new father and it was just this propulsion of self into whatever I could possibly do to make a difference in this thing because it's so massive and it's so urgent mm. and yet actually you know the timescales that we're looking at this is a multi-decade approach yeah. you know and so therefore we have to approach these things in ways that we as individuals can sustain mm. And I don't know how you guys have found it, but I think the pandemic in particular really illustrated um, some very core truths about what it means to be human in terms of our relationships with one another mm. and how much we need deep, grounded experiences with other people who know us mm. and who actually can care for us. And I'd be curious, whoever this um, speaks to most, like how you see community fitting into mm. these systems that we're trying to build, these startups, these organizations, you know, both in life and work, because it feels like community is this kind of central piece of the puzzle. Mm. Can I add one other thing Please, before we yeah, go into yeah. that question? Just when you're speaking about that urgency, and I feel it myself, I feel mm. it within our organization, like it happens so often, this perceived, I, I call it a perceived urgency, because mm. I, even if there is a real urgency, there is an urgency that I think happens on a, on a bodily level mm. that's mostly what we feel as activation, like mm. maybe even nervous system activation. And I was thinking that 
I actually think the best work doesn't come from that place. The yeah. best work, even if that means I'm taking five minutes more to ground myself, like we did before we started this podcast, <laughs> then I there's a very different quality of work that happens and it might be much more efficient and effective than coming from this place of like rushing and maybe even frantic like yeah, doing. Totally. So I just want to emphasize this and this also really speaks to me to this deep connection to the body that we need to rebuild mm. so that we are able to listen and to be aware when we're out of that state of grounded alignment so we can come back to it to do the work we got to do well. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Because at the end of the day, it's a neurochemical cocktail. It's cortisol, it's, you know, adrenaline. And yes, there's that urgency and it gives you sometimes that, that ability to change direction or to make a tough decision, but it's not the energy that can really sustain the contribution yeah, exactly. over a long period of time. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be curious leaning into the community piece because mm -hmm. I think this was when we were hanging out in East Denver, um, I was just kind of, I don't know, shocked and blown away and surprised like how much of our overlap there is because, mm -hmm. you know, I've mm -hmm. experimented with living in community for many, many years and um, they're not, I don't know, there don't see that many people who are actually on the frontier of tech and, you know, entrepreneurship and finance who are actually leaning into that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious, like what initially drew you into mm -hmm. living with other people and alternative ways of being, mm -hmm. you know, on land and, mm -hmm. you know, where that came from. Mm -hmm. Um. I want to, you said something, it's a multi-decade problem yeah. earlier. Yeah. And that's also how I see more and more. At first I intuited it, at intuition, but mm -hmm. I think I really it lands more and more that also this community thing is a multi-decade mm. thing. Yeah. Like, like I'm, I hope that the people who I'm collaborating with today, either professionally or also communally, mm. that we will for the next... 20, 30, 40, 50 years, like we build a stronger web of trust that we can actually create something that lasts and that is more than just each individual of us. Yeah. And so that's just my assumption more and more when I start building relationships. Okay, how would I be with you mm. if we actually going to be working together for 50 mm. years or mm. like in our orbit so for cool. the next 50 years? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 38, so 50 years is not, is not unreasonable for me. Totally, and you've illustrated <laughs> with Max, and you guys have been working together for literally yeah, decades. exactly. It's, it's We've so been cool. working together for 20 years, and yeah. there's a whole different way of, of being and understanding and creating. So that's just something I'm realizing more and more now. Mm. And um, but also, what drew me to it, and like more on the communal living, less the, like the network of companies and startups, which is also a community, but the communal living is. Um, Yeah, this thing of like, what does togetherness actually mean? Mm. Finding more and more that just having one or two people I'm like relating with, that could be a friend or could be a partner, that that's of course not fulfilling all the personal needs and also, also the communal needs of each other. So really having a web of people where I can lean on, could be emotionally, could be practically, could be a circle of um, men or brothers yeah. Yeah. Uh, where with a very different dynamic mm. and, and really... Mm. Having these support structures then allows individually us to yeah to be more ourselves and to see each other and, and it can go even more and more. But that was my my starting point. Mm. Um, also coming out of the startup world, where sure we're doing something together, but often it's quite individualistic. Yeah. And you said earlier, like the the power structure, the hierarchy is like I'm doing this or we're doing this, and um, yeah, finding the balance to that and. Today, that's a big part of, of my life, of being together, creating together, and then also bringing founders together or whatever. It's just a sense of, it's a bigger boat. Yeah, and, and for me, it's been a transition because it's a very different way of being in that. We have such a short attention span and we've got so many kind of modes of stimulus all around us that actually to properly engage at, you know, a multi-personal level over a long period of time, it really does require a different type of attention and a different type of presence. And I think in particular, one of the things that's been very interesting to me is just how trauma and wounds and, mm. you know, emotional needs met or unmet really influence the way that people show up. Mm -hmm. and oftentimes um, deal with conflict or not. You know, because at the end of the day, conflict really is kind of the key thing. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm curious, like, what your take is on this in terms of how, 
you know, organizations are dealing with people's wounds and trauma because we're into an increasingly volatile world where trauma is going to just be a part of our life. Mm. And mm. also just before yeah. you go, there's, and different traumas come up in different situations and yeah. in different relationships. Yes. Like, so totally. something where we might be totally cool and then somebody <laughs> else walk in and was like, what the, what's happening? <laughs> so, so this is super interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, multiple things. There's so much I want to actually add to what you just started. <laughs> Keep rolling. Let's go. Um, let's see. Um, I think one of the sh like one of the pieces of the shared vision that Philip and I hold is that it's not just communal living, but that there is also something where a very meaningful collaboration can grow out of living together. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that all the people need to work on the same thing together. Yeah, but mm. this sense that. Like what? What is a meaningful collaboration? I think it's partially what you described this like long term vision or the experience that you already had, and I I think that a key piece of it is what I would call deep relationships. And deep relationships mm. they require us knowing each other on a different level. And maybe that's where I can also tie it into the conflict piece. Mm. But for sure, they require being together in person. Like there is no way around mm. that, and. Sometimes that means living together. Sometimes that just means that you have places where you can gather, where you might even be able to return to, you know, so that you can also not just build a relationship to each other, but to also places over time. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think there's a preciousness there instead of just like constantly jumping to different places all over the world. Totally. But the sense of like actually returning, I think that's super special. Mm -hmm. And we need those places where we can do that. And an interesting polarity that I often see is that, you know, what you said earlier, of like there are the people who are entrepreneurial and in business and wanting to like change the world on a big system scale. And then there are communal living projects and often they really lack that. They, they, they hold a lot of other wisdom, especially on a relational level, on a conflict resolution level. But something I really care about and I think what we care about together as well is how to bring them together and really it feels like there's so much potential there mm -hmm. and maybe this is also where it comes to this whole question around conflict and trauma I mean within greater than for example we teach a course that's called trauma-informed collaboration wow. so there is so a cool. whole mm -hmm. educational um, effort to actually create a shared awareness of what trauma can look like, how it can play out and how we can meet it within each other. Mm. Just knowing that it comes up at work, whether you want it or not, you know, like work is not an emotion free space, even if we sometimes pretend it is. Um, and I don't think it should be, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I think the first, the first step is just having a shared awareness and education and then I think there is this really big piece, you know, like if you want to do organizational transformation, you need personal transformation yes. and you need a huge level of self-responsibility because if you actually want to mm. be an agent in a system, mm. you need to be able to be responsible and also take responsibility for what you, what your choices are, what your actions are. And it's a fact that a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people actually like that somebody else is responsible. Yeah. You know? It's <laughs> way easier. It's, exactly. It's, not my problem. <laughs> it's comfortable. Not my job. But it's also kind of debilitating yeah. because it means yeah. that if somebody else is responsible, I don't have agency. Mm. So I do think that there's a huge level of work that we need to do on ourselves to be able to deal with our traumas, to deal with our emotions in a web of support with others around who know us, who can support us in that. Because it's not a individual, like that's the other, like the shadow side of self-responsibility. Mm. It's like, I'm going to do it all on my own and I don't need anybody, right? Sure, sure. But it's not that either. So it's this like both end hmm. of doing the work and doing it together. Mm. And this is beautiful because there's this other paradox, like doing the self-work and doing the work and there's some places where it's just around this but it's also a never-ending spiral like you can just do that and then how do we put this in the larger context of where the planet is at this time and we do this to do systems change yes. or to like to really work on climate and impact related projects and so yeah again bringing these two paradoxes together and letting them like really support each other I think that's where the magic then really comes oh, man I love it this is why I vibe with you so much Philip because this is my thing is like we need to do the work in ourselves on our own and in community and we also have to 
work towards building systems mm-hmm. that are radically different than the systems today. And I think it's that invitation really to go deeper into both because I feel as though kind of both sets of communities archetypally, whether you're a systems builder or you know an on the ground, um, like they haven't quite seen the bridge between the two. And that's, I think, what is so interesting, inspiring around some of the experiences that you guys host and just the, the way that you bring people together and the different types of people that are coming together. Because yeah. mm. it feels like we can't, build this new world without the types of incredibly talented driven engineering you know brilliant systems thinkers as well as the you know emotionally connected you know people relators who know what it's actually like to do the work on the ground mm. but I, I don't know like it, it seems like there's a lot of resistance between bringing these groups together I'm not sure what you guys have found in terms mm. of um, yeah I, I think it really depends on who you speak to I think there is resistance in a big part of the world. And for me, that's also not the fight I want to fight, Mm. to go and convince somebody of something that they have no access to. And at the same time, I have experienced and and also we organized events and gatherings Mm. like last weekend. So Mm -hmm. last weekend in Madrid, actually at Max's house, we brought together founders, researchers, some coaches, like really from a broad spectrum, but they all came because they knew they have a shared vision for the world. They used different tools to get there, but um, it was clear that it's Mm. cross interdisciplinary, but there's a shared or at least an opening towards doing this together. Mm. And I think that's the magic where if there's an opening, then these bridges are there. There are other people who are really working on the bridge building when there is just really hard fronts that are not seeing each other. Yeah. That's not my work. Sure. I think there's beautiful people who do that. Yeah. Um, but for me, creating these cross-functional interdisciplinary spaces works works pretty well, like mm. at least from our experience. Really. Mm. Yeah, I was also thinking, I think there is also a, you said, who are you inviting? And I think there is also a question of how are you inviting them? Mm. Mm. And I even heard it in the way that you used language. I think we polarize a lot with yeah. our language. Yeah, totally. Um, of like, what if there are actually emotionally intelligent system thinkers and yes. they're like, yes, yes, yes. Um, like on the like the same thing just switched around. So, and I think that works really well with what you started speaking about of like highlighting that even if we have a different language and even if we work with very different people, there is a shared vision and a shared intention to mm-hmm. create a future that is somehow worth living for. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we recognize that, then it becomes much, I'm not saying it's easy, but it becomes much easier yeah. to yeah. bridge those um, gaps and mm-hmm. to meet each other. And this is maybe the third point of not just how do you invite them, but how how do you actually facilitate the space? Mm-hmm. Because if we just start on an intellectual level, yeah. That will probably be a mess because we use different language, because we're passionate about different things, because we have different wor- worldviews really often. Mm, mm. But I think if we're able to connect on the human level, you know, in from the heart and with our emotionality, that is somewhat universal, you know, like yeah. there's this need for love mm. and this need for connection that we basically all have. And if we meet there, then all the stuff can kind of like drop a little bit, all the stuff where we might have friction or we might not understand. And there's a whole other kind of well of compassion and yes. understanding that we can draw from. I want to add something to this. is Because even now as we're talking, speaking, losing language of meeting in the heart and like a lot of love, mm. for some people they're like, meeting in the heart, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but but in the end, they're also human. So I think even there with the invitation and the way we facilitate spaces yeah. is really just let's just, just, just go into it without too much talking about it, without using language. I mean, we use, of course, some language, but mm. finding really the universal connector point that, that these people can meet and then, and then kind of cruising through there. And doing that through creating shared experiences rather yeah. than trying to create like a shared lingo. Yeah. Mm, the shared lingo kind of comes after yeah. I find, I find mm-hmm, we can mm-hmm. we can start meeting on the consciousness like talking let's find the right terms da, 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 without actually having really connected here yeah. um, and so I from my side it's it's almost flipping this around meeting first 
yeah. and then like let's build on, on, on that. I feel like there's so much opportunity for this because I don't know about you guys, but I find so many of the ways that people gather quite frustrating and dissatisfying. Like the refi space seems to be locked into this conference circuit hmm. and it's the same stuff being hmm. talked about. In, by the same people on a different stage to the same audience and like I can't do it it literally drives me nuts and it's like what's going on here like there's so much capital you know financial and human going into these experiences but it just doesn't seem like it's going anywhere oh, yeah. okay so this is touching about <laughs> you <laughs> because so this is also something I found in 2017 18 in, in the crypto space yeah. it was just looping in itself so much yeah. and we back then we always said let's connect this to the real world like outside of crypto and people were laughing at us like that's way too difficult da 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 the centrifuge and now in the refi space I kind of see like a reincarnation of this like you said it's yeah. the same people talking about the same da, da, da. and there it's like okay let's build products that actually large corporates would use to really change the way how they manage their supply chain whatever carbon accounting sure. whatever it is but it, it's it's almost a skill set that people don't have yet yeah. in this yeah. ecosystem Agreed. so much, yeah. very few. So that is like popping out of the bubble is one. Mm. And then also, maybe also they don't know different ways of gathering. Yeah. Like there's just the very fast paced conferences with a lot of talks, mm -hmm. a lot of mm. input without actually time to digest. So these are the two kind of bubble poppers yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I like to see. Mm. Yeah, I think there is something huge what you just said. Maybe they don't know a different way of gathering. But even if they knew a different way of gathering, I think like in psychology, there's something that we call scripts. So people mm. for a situation assume a kind of particular mm. way of behaving in a social way. Yeah. Yeah. And if I go into a restaurant, I will behave differently than if I'm in my own living room. And so Super I think we have really strong concepts of what a conference should look like and how I am supposed to be in such a space. And even if I may be a liberated communal being in very different in other spaces, mm. it can be super difficult to bring that if I sense or I assume that there is a different way of relating in a in such a space. Mm. And I think mm. to really crack that, we need to bring people in that hold different like into the onto the stages and into the spaces in between that facilitate something else. And we need to do that intentionally because as soon as we do that, people, the people around will realize, oh, I can, actually I can, mm -hmm. I can be different here mm -hmm. if I want to. Mm -hmm. And I can speak out different invitations and I can have different conversations. I can ask different questions yep. and I can meet you on a different level. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the, the bubble bursting is very much that. Is it's like it's a bubble when everyone knows each other and it's a safe space because like, there isn't anything being introduced that's outside of that container. And it's a really deep yearning for me to see, yeah, just peeps, people of all walks of life looking at this story of regeneration and seeing Web3 as a tool and an enabler amongst a bunch of other tools mm -hmm. that, can, that can make this future possible. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, it's quite a tough time at the moment in this space. I'm curious to get your read on like ReFi and you know, the, the regenerative movement more broadly. Um, you know, it's... It's obviously my first full cycle. You've obviously seen a few of these, but what's your take on kind of the state of refi today and where mm. we're at, and what's going to actually take us through to you know the next cycle? Mm. I think first of all, I love what you said in the beginning. Web three or, or decentralization is one tool of many, yeah. Um, especially in the crypto space, or I heard decentralize everything. Yeah, can't it's do like, that. It's like, <laughs> Really, everything, like tokenize everything, like really everything, and so just right realizing this is one tool in the tool set that we have: yeah. tokenization, um, alternative financial um, incentive models, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, one thing, in my opinion, that gets us through the cycle is actually realizing we're one tool yes. uh, in the in the broader um, scheme, and then connecting it to to the other tools that are out there. It might be hardware things. It might be whatever whatever it is. Like I mentioned, corporations totally. and so on. Um, right now, I think we're still in a, in crypto winter. I think mm. also globally, financially, we're not in the best like flow state. Um, so capital is is not flowing mm. as much as a couple of years ago. Yeah. So it's slow, and, and many people say you're building in winter. And it's like, I think you should build always, yeah. but especially now. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't have any money, <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you don't have any money, I think um, 
there is funding happening mm. for for projects who are really solving real problems and um, who have some traction. Yeah. And it's just the fact if you don't have any traction today, like right now, you just be prepared for another, I don't know how long, six, nine, 12 months of really, really slow um, time. So preserving capital, going slow, focusing on the essentials, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, I think there's, as you said, there is a cycle. So the cycle will pick up again. Don't know when. But also, it also forced us, like Max and I, with with Earth, mm -hmm. founding, uh, supporting founders, investing in founders, really to rethink like what is actually up right now. Yeah. Like if capital is not flowing so much, um, how can we support founders maybe with smaller checks, or how can we connect them to other projects that are a little bit further to to join forces or whatever it is? Like I think it's just being aware of the times that we're in. Yeah. And and uh, using. What we have to the best to the best benefit. But that's just a high level. I, we can go deeper into the different type of projects that are happening, but totally. I think I just leave it there. Mm, yeah, and I, I think there's also this systemic shift um, more broadly, and you know, like the EBF framework. I think is one interesting mm -hmm. example as people are moving away from sort of carbon tunnel vision into a broader set of ecological benefits. That our awareness is expanding. And that these cycles yeah. of construction and expansion sort of enable some type of conscious evolution to take place. Mm. I'd be curious, Lana, to hear what you're most excited about and all the organizations that you're touching base with, because it seems like Greater Than has a very interesting, you know, reach across lots and lots of different groups. And I don't know if there's any specific trends or projects or case studies that are just lighting a fire in you, but um, love to open the view a little bit. I mean, I can't really point to a case study. But I think the piece that I'm most excited about, mainly because I feel it's the area of most untapped potential, mm. is really rethinking and rebuilding the way we, re we relate to money. Mm. And not just mm. kind of tech, like we're in a place now where we can suddenly build new financial systems on chain. I mean, yeah. that's revolutionary. Yeah. I yeah. think that that basically changed our world. And we will just continue to replicate what mm. we know on there if we do not change something within and change yeah. our yeah our deeply conditioned relationships to money the stories that we hold that are both very similar but also very individual at the mm. same time and i mean this has many levels i would say i think there are some things that you can already start doing today you know like everyone basically, mm. Mm. whether you're an individual or within your team, I think it has a lot to do with like money is such an unspoken topic. And especially in organizations, depending on how your structure is structured, only very few people have actually access to all the financial information. Right, yeah. And if only very few people have access, then how are you supposed to do any sort of collaborative financial decision making? It's impossible. Yeah. So I think there's an, a level of kind of openness and transparency that That, needs, that also needs practice and that needs, like, it starts by asking each other questions. Maybe it starts with asking your friends questions and starting to talk about money and asking yourself, wait, how did I learn about money? Wh what does money actually mean to me? Because, mm. yeah, what I see really often is that money is a placeholder for so many other things of like self-worth or... Um, a sense of achievement or safety yeah. or freedom. Like there are so many that you could replace them with. And so I think this, like this is the kind of the individual money work that is a part of that. But by doing that, we create more capacity to switching or like experimenting with alternative ways of doing money collaboratively, yeah. whether that is how you set your salaries how you distribute funds within the organizations, for example, surplus profit. Um, yeah, how do you do budgeting? All of that. And I I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I could go into detail and that could take up uh, probably two podcast episodes. So I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Well, you should come back. Because <laughs> I think it's talk so about needed. money. Yeah, uh, we love money stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not everything, but like money is, you know, the primary coordination vehicle of our entire society. Mm. And yet I feel as though most people have some pretty odd beliefs around money and what it means to have money. And it's like, actually, the evidence is pretty clear. Beyond a certain income threshold, money doesn't make you happier. Mm. And we often sacrifice 
money at the expense of time in nature or time with people. And um, it's it's been a yeah quite emotive journey for me, you know, working with money as yeah somebody who grew up in a place with every material need met in suburban America, and yet underneath people are really suffering. Mm. You know, there was a absolute wave of suicide in our community, and you look around, it's like what are the actual challenges that people are facing, if not the depravity born of having all of your material needs met, but being you know empty in relationship. And I don't know what your kind of money epiphanies were along the way, Philip, but it seems like you have a, a really different relationship to a lot, um, to money than a lot of the people I've seen in the startup space who've, you know, done well and managed to go through exits. And I don't know, like, was there a particular moment that things shifted for you or you started looking at it differently or like how how has your relationship mm-hmm. with money evolved? Mm-hmm. It's, so I grew up lower middle class in Germany. We didn't have much money. Like I never grew hungry, but there was definitely money was not abundant. And somehow, I don't know exactly how, but I always trusted that money came through my work. Mm. And also when we when I started in, in San Francisco, it was not really about making a lot of money. It was about building something really cool. Yeah. And yeah. then, of course, money came in. We raised the first millions, the next tens of millions, and like whatever, I think in total, like we raised something like 300 million wow. for different uh, projects. Um, and so money became a, a, like a driving force for us as a business. Yeah. But um, I didn't really have myself an abundance of money until mm. a few years ago when the mm. first exit started to happen. Mm. And there, um, I would say my relationship with money changed as I, as I had more than enough, mm. I really had to think about, okay, how do I hold this money? How yeah. do I flow this money? I sense for me, there's also responsibility with yeah. this cash that I have or that I have access to myself or through other like fellow angel investors or fellow VCs. I think this is also my personal money and mm. the money that I have access to, to bring to projects yeah. that are actually doing something meaningful. Um, I, I'm going to go really personal yeah. here. Yeah. There, I think there's a moment when you go from having very little money to some money, like the basic needs met. Mm. I was happy that I was there for a while, but then to having much more where I had to really hold that energy in a way. Like mm. I had no idea, what do you do with all of this? Like how do you, mm. wow, I'm afraid of this. I don't yeah. want to touch it. Like you said, like the placeholder for money. This is too much responsibility. I don't mm. want it. Mm. And really had to grow into this and settle into it in a way. And And now it's mostly about, yeah, Taking care of me, taking care of my loved ones around my my community, um, and and collaborating there, but also flowing it to to the right places. So there is also something in me when I look at other people who work in regeneration or community where money is actually a bad thing or yeah. you don't want yeah. money. I believe it is a really creative force, yeah, it is. and it is something that you can direct. And I'm happy to make more money to flow it again to amazing places in the world that then can spark positive change like that's how that's how i look at it and i'm facing a lot of stuff in that also like our our money work together like mm. really looking deeply inside um yeah that I would say. yeah and i think there's this interesting phenomena that happens what you described around this being a responsibility that almost allows you to grow your sense of purpose and even your sense of self through your extension of relationships. Mm. That it's like, I can be a vessel and a container for this resource. And through my attention and my connections, this can flow towards places of beauty and great transformation in the world. And I think really this is what I would hope, um, yeah, that we can see in this next season ahead that as capital you know, flows in greater volumes, that people who are stewarding it can really see this as an incredible responsibility. Because for me, money really is for you know, those who are suffering and the soil which is being you know, ravaged by pretty horrible farming practices mm. and the water and the air actively being polluted. It's like we have this incredible technology through money. And we've, we've tried to make it use for you know, inflating the sense of self and ego through wealth accumulation and, and look where it's got us. It's mm. so like, what if we redirected this into a totally different story? Um, I'm, I'm excited and yet there's just, <laughs> there's so much to unpack. There was, yeah, go I, for I it. I have just one more small addition yeah. because I was at an event not so long ago and then we had really, we had a VC panel 
Mm. I was sitting on the VC panel. Yeah. And then we had a panel that was really going deep into anti-capitalist things and so on. And again, these paradoxes. And I think mm. we also have to hold both because, for example, VC for profit yeah. is a really good way to scale projects fast. Like we have proof from Silicon Valley, da 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 And at the same time, we really need to fundamentally rethink how, how we do it. And I think there's like a, a stacking and a step by step. I just wanted to throw that in with another one of these. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm curious how you've managed to hold that tension because it feels like there's so many different vectors. Um, and just practice all the time. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I hold it better. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes worse. Like I think it's just being aware. But I mean, at the end of the day, like you have, you know, say venture capital as a model with. LP and the agreements that stipulate a particular mm -hmm. magnitude of return mm -hmm. over a particular horizon. Mm -hmm. Like, is the traditional VC model actually fit for, you know, mm -hmm. the age in which we need to realize, which is mm -hmm. regeneration over a multi-decade horizon? Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know what your take is on this. But. My take is that it's not the only answer. I think yeah. um, if I think about VC and, and also talk with some other friends who do like who do climate VC, mm -hmm. where we say, let's use these tools that we have today to push forward like biodiversity mm -hmm. uh, initiatives or carbon whatever, or sure. like really pushing them forward fast because we need it fast. And at the same time, I think we need philanthropic capital, we need um, states funding, yeah. uh, like we, do, we need all of these. And I think it's just one tool, tool there. And also there, I, if I talk to founders, mm -hmm or to friends who are building new projects, I'm really sitting with them and saying, what type of capital do you actually want to take on? Mm, yeah, because 100%. it comes with this like VC capital, you need to, in their fund creation, you invest in so many projects, each of them must have the chance to go 100x. Yep. So it's a certain kind of uh, um, contract that you sign with VC. And totally. maybe that's actually not the right capital for a lot of these projects. Maybe you go slower, but deeper, or like whatever it is, there's just... Yeah, being differentiated in the decisions that you make, and yeah. and rec being yeah, I guess clear about the color of money and the way yeah. that it comes in and what it's expecting of you. Yeah. And I guess this is all just kind of that rising awareness around money and the different flavors and how it can be used for the service of this more beautiful world. Mm -hmm. um, I'm conscious we're coming towards the top of the hour here. I don't know if there's yeah anything that we didn't touch on that you guys want to explore. Um, it feels like we've yeah, woven in between both of your stories and interests quite a bit, but there's almost limitless depth that we could dive into. <laughs> Is there anything that's burning for either of you that you guys want to peel open before we wrap up? I would love to add one thing that I think connects to a lot of what both of you said in the last kind of six minutes. Mm. And that is this idea what wealth actually is. You said mm. all material needs were met where you grew up and still people killed themselves. And I think that there is something about like wealth is simply not just financial capital. Mm. There are so many other aspects. So it's the like well-being of my body, like health. Mm. It's the well-being of my relationships. It's my environment, like my natural environment that I'm in, whether that has a good quality of air or water, whether it's polluted or not. So I feel like there's so many different aspects of wealth and collectively, and especially in a system like capitalism, we simply do not hold these different aspects of wealth. And that means that we're not incentivizing working towards having a having them holistically fulfilled, yeah. but we're only filling one bucket. And that might be overflowing and the other stays so empty. And we see what that leads to. Yeah. For me, I'm coming to this word um, wholeness a lot or wholesome, but not like a wholesome meal, but just including all the parts. Yeah. And yeah. I've seen just how much deeper and how much um, with with much more um, energy I can come and the people around me if we take in all the parts. Like we talked about the personal and the systemic. We talked about mm. like grounding each other to go yeah. fast. And so this is something I'm really want to foster in in our community here, just as 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 people, but also in the refi or the tech community. 
like how can we really build the, from from this place and this is just an invitation i put out to founders always like okay let's let's drop a level deeper so yeah. that we can go further and higher so just really it's a lot of work and i i think it pays off so tremendously so that in 10 20 50 years we're still here all mm-hmm. feeling fulfilled and happy and and can can sit around the dinner table together or meet at an event and really say wow like we did really good yeah i love this i love this long term thinking and i think we need more wisdom and elders who can help to inspire that type of you know forward looking view and to have the relationships that say look this is possible and this is the kind of fruit that can be born mm-hmm. through really taking this over, you know, a many many year time horizon. I'd be curious uh, to keep thinking of kind of like early stage founders who are inspired by this new story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if either of you have any advice um, but what what would it be if you saw like some burning passion in a young entrepreneur who wants to yeah, build a system that can change the world yet also take care of themselves in the process. Mm-hmm this fits exactly into what I was just kind of pondering about. And I think there's something about in the face of such great challenges, sometimes it can feel so daunting, I think this is the right English word, mm-hmm. to to create the change that is needed Yeah, to towards a better world, to create different systems. Mm-hmm. And then we tend to do just nothing because we feel like we can't do everything all at once. And I think even if you still do like 90% business as usual, like recognizing where you do have capacity to do something else yeah. and then to experiment. Mm-hmm. I think it's like grounding things in practice rather than theorizing, like continue to theorize, just understanding, okay, this is a value I have. Like maybe it is more collaborative decision-making, whatever it is, Yeah. yeah. But taking this value and trying to understand within my capacity what is an experiment that I can design today mm. for the next three months and then continue to iterate and maybe and likely the capacity will grow to hold these kind of things. Mm. And so I so don't nice. think it's about changing it all today and doing it from like day one all differently yeah. because that might actually not be possible or feasible or effective. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but doing it like incrementally and really recognizing where where that is possible to create that change and and taking it playfully and mm, with curiosity because mm, mm. like if systems change isn't fun then it's probably also not sustainable <laughs> I love this. That's so good that's the kind of world i want to live in um what about you man the young founders who are really thriving towards something else I'm just put myself like mm. just like in my head I went 20 years back not yeah. so much on the region side but then and one thing I would really like try to bring close to them is find people who are already living this future or acting in this way the future of that you want to create maybe in different pockets uh, of of your own uh, world because they can be inspiration they can be an anchor also to continue to look at and then also find ways Uh, find people who root for you and also listen to people who made the same mistake multiple times. Like as a young founder, just, I know everything. I'm like, of course I'm going to get this done. But just putting myself again in my early 20s. And I think we need this attitude to really bring forth something new and and, and kind of get through this crack in, in mm-hmm. the world that we're seeing mm-hmm. today. But at the same time, really taking in advice or being coachable by folks who have been there uh, will save a lot of headache and like, <laughs> like somebody else banged their head against the wall 10 times like just it, it will Talks be easy and <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I wish I would have been hanging out with Philip when I was in my early 20s <laughs> there's a lot of head banging going on <laughs> yeah I've been there well, yeah I think we've all been there it's part of the process <laughs> Oh man! Well, thank you guys so much. It's hey, it's such a pleasure. Um, I'm curious for people listening who want to yeah learn more about what you're doing or maybe even get involved or some of your experiences. Mm-hmm. Where, can, where can they find you? And is there anything in the horizon that people should be aware of? Um, um, for us together, I think one thing that we do is called the future is now. Yes. So uh, the future is now. To I think is our is our website. Just we're doing experience design. We're hosting events and gatherings. 
Um, we do a lot of money work. I think there's a money workshop coming up in Lisbon, actually. Oh, cool. 25th of November. I see. Hey, it's almost my birthday. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a, a birthday workshop. Um, so that is one. And then for me, you find me at, at PSTELIC. Uh, like on Twitter, on wherever, or pstelic.com is my personal site. And then together with Max, I'm working on Earth. Um, um, yeah. Check it out. Check Amazing. It out. Yeah. And how about you, Lena? So, yeah, I think if you want to know more about Greater Than, you can just check out greaterthan.works. And we have, I highly recommend it to anybody who's interesting, interested in yeah, new ways of organizing. We have a handbook that basically outlines almost everything about the way we're structured mm. and That's organized. So cool. And I remember when I read it, I was like, just like my mind exploded. I was like, oh my God, this exists. <laughs> you know? So cool. So I'll definitely get that in the show it, notes. No matter whether you want to get involved or not, I think reading this can be super inspirational. Um, yeah. And I guess Philip and I will continue hosting all different kinds of experiences. And we have actually the Future is Now Gathering somewhere in spring. We don't have a venue yet, yeah. so we don't have the yeah. exact date nice. yet. But spring 2024. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're, yeah. If you're up for creating a future worth living for, Let's no do matter it. in which bubble, <laughs> <laughs> all the bubbles, amazing. all the bubbles. Thank you guys so much. It's an honor, and um, hopefully we can have more conversations in the future. Now that we're all here together, um, yeah, a real gift. And if you guys have a beautiful rest of your day, thank you, John. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. I would be so incredibly grateful if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. This helps us reach more listeners, attract amazing guests, and ultimately get the story of regeneration out to a wider audience. It takes just a couple seconds and makes a massive difference. Thanks so much. And do let us know if there's any guests that you'd love to hear from. We'd be very grateful to hear from you. Thanks. Thanks.